Hey, Fred. You got it? Hello, How are you? I'm well, thank you. Good. So you got your book behind you? Yeah. Marketing, right? I got it too. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to the Dropping In Surf Show. My name is Rob Case. I'm a paddling technique coach. Today on the show, we have uh, one of the most inspirational humans I've spoken to recently. His name is Fred Haywood. He has swam with Mark Spitz. He has broken wind surfing speed records. He has surfed Maui. He's surfed G-Land with Jerry Lopez. He has done a number of things in his life, and he wrote a book about it called Racing Aloha. I was super excited to sit down and talk with Fred. But first, I wanted to hear from Fred himself his chronological life in its briefest way possible. And I know that's not really that possible because there's so much that is contained and that's what is in the book, a memoir of sorts. But I wanted him to give us a quick background on who Fred was and what he's done in his life. And that's where we start. Well, I guess you could say my life started in 1949. My parents had moved to Maui in 47 and my dad picked up a job as a plantation doctor for HCNS Sugar. And they gave us a house on the beach in Kahalua Harbor. Within a few years, dad had amassed a herd of surfboards and uh, for us all balsa wood. So we were all surfing right in Kahalua Harbor. I had three brothers and a sister. Um, I grew up there and then for schooling after I was barefoot till eighth grade. I had to go to high school and I had to wear shoes at a prep school in the big island of Hawaii. I, I, uh, it was called Hawaii Prep Academy and I uh, was on the swim team. Coach built a raft and put it in Kauai High Harbor in, in, on the big island. So we were training in a harbor every day. <laughs> That's awesome. I left that and went to my senior year in high school with uh, Santa Clara High School and Mark Spitz and company, Don Scholander, Donna DeVerona, all these swimming greats, and proceeded to have a real quick rise in my swimming career through a stroke tip and an emotional tip at Mark Spitz's house from his dad. Um, I, I won a national championship and went five seconds faster in a 50 second race. Oh my gosh. In two weeks. So I went from not being able to qualify to go to the nationals to winning the nationals two weeks ahead of the race. And it was quite a surprise. I went to the Pan American games and got a silver medal. I ended up going to Stanford, um, swam for them as a team captain, multiple NC2A championships and American records and whatnot. And then came home to Maui. I asked my dad, what am I supposed to do next? And he says, well, you'll never know what you're going to do next. <laughs> you just do what you think you want to do and do it really well. And it could be a garbage man. It could be a police officer. It could be trash collector, whatever you want to do, but just do it the best you can and until it doesn't work. And then you move on to the next. So it was a process of elimination. I said, okay. And, um, took on a waiter job and a construction job. And one day 
I saw a realtor sell a house or sell the condo below me. And I asked him how much that was worth. And it was, he made $1,800 in 10 minutes. Huh. And I said, oh, okay, if I want to go surf in Indo, maybe G land, um, at $5 and 15 cents, it's going to take me a while to save $2,000 for a ticket. Yeah. That next day I got off the wall. I was grouting a cement wall and, that same day, I went to a real estate office and asked my friend how to get into real estate. And he says, well, there happens to be a class tomorrow at Baldwin High School. And, but it started last week. He says, just go in there and tell them you're going to learn that and catch, it, catch up and just show up and pay the fees. <laughs> I went to a real estate class. Six months later, I sold my first home, wow. a two-acre lot in Kula with a, a house on it for ninety-two five. The, wow. the place would sell for one nine right now. Right. And um, uh, within 30 days, I was down in Indo with uh, Bill Boyum. Um, oh, wow. Running down the path to go to Uluwatu. And we were with his brother, Mike, who was showing us where it was. And we ran into Jerry Lopez and Jeff Hackman, who were lost, <laughs> and uh, Jack McCoy, you know, film filmer. Oh, yeah. And Jack was trying to show him the way to Uluwatu, but uh, Mike knew. So we just, the gang of us went down there and started surfing. Um, hung out in Indo for two months. Um, ended up on a 10-day cat, a 30-foot cat piloted by Mike Ritter. And we went over to G-Land for 10 days and wow. anchored there. Um, it was three feet the first day. It was four to six to eight for the next nine days, Jeez. maybe even 10. I don't just, know. Just you guys? Oh. Two guys walked in. The very last day I was out, it, they were the best waves that I had seen the whole trip. And nobody, everybody was so surfed out. Yeah. But I managed to surf for two or three hours by myself. And I caught... You know how you get your best wave and then a couple of years later you get your best wave? Yeah. I caught my best five waves in a row <laughs> that day. <laughs> Last one was standing up buried in a tube ride halfway up the face with my hands straight over my head, but totally locked in real deep and coming out standing up. And I went, oh my gosh, this is it. This is a really good trip. <laughs> this is a really good trip really good trip i was so surfed out happy to come in after those waves and then we left that evening i fell asleep at, at noon and i woke up at midnight you know 12 hours later to the sound of waves breaking and i ran up on deck and I, the guy who was steering the boat said oh look at the stars fred i said did you hear that <laughs> There's waves breaking. Let me have the helm. And I jibed the boat. Yeah. And went on the opposite tack and went up a couple of faces and then dropped on the back. Oh, geez. We were guys... right outside of, I think, Uluwatu. We were almost sailing right into Uluwatu. Oh, my gosh. And um, well, anyway, an hour or two later, the sun came up and we were near Bali. Yeah. <laughs> Got back. So um, came back from Bali and 
wondered what I was going to do on Maui and selling real estate. And the book is not about real estate. It's about adventure, yeah. excitement, going for it, um, put, placing your goals and dreams ahead of your memories. Yeah. So I, uh, I was selling real estate. I lost all my money in 1980. And same time, my brother passed away in a traffic accident and I was living with him in Kahului. So I just decided I was going to open a windsurfing shop having just met Mike Waltz and Matt Schweitzer um, and windsurfing with them. So we started the first sailboard shop on Maui in 1980, Sailboards Maui. Oh my gosh. That's so insane. I thought, well, I'm either going to make it in in the shop or in getting sponsored somehow. Um, ran into a friend, longtime friend who is now deceased, Arnaud de Rone, who inspired me to do speed sailing. And with the help of Barry Spanier and Neil Pride Sales, I got over to Weymouth, England and broke a world speed record on my sailboard. So I got sponsored for six, seven years. And my dream came true of just going to the beach for work. Yeah. Isn't it every surfer's dream <laughs> to yeah. make the tour, I guess, or to just not have a day to worry about unless the surf's down. Yeah. Well, no, I just keep thinking your dad's advice was just so spot on. Oh just yeah. Keep doing what you're doing while you like it and do it mm -hmm. as long as you possibly can. You just want to do whatever you're doing and do the best at it. You know, yeah. if, if you would, if you are, are, are accomplishing and solving and innovating in whatever endeavor you're doing, you're going to be successful because you can do it for an hour a day for a year. You're an expert. Yeah. You know, at most anything, but most people get sidetracked in their decisions. They, you know, get other old alternate avenues so they go down the wrong path there's plenty of rabbit holes to fall into in life but you got to just climb out of them and stay positive and drop in to better waves yeah yeah it's i mean it's we talked about it before on this show how surfing is a metaphor for life it's like you're riding the wave you stay focused on what you're doing in that moment and you do it the best you possibly can and it'll just keep giving it to you especially if you're at g land and yeah. then as long as you're not trying to think about what the next wave or what the next, you know, what the reefs in front of you, you you're going to walk into the, one of the five best ways of your life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. That's, that's awesome. I'm, I, you know, your story, um, the mo the biggest thing that resonated with me and what I do really relates to, uh, the swimming part of your life. Obviously, um, my brother gave me, uh, the complete book of swimming by doc councilman. And when I started to investigate my swim technique and, and try to translate it into paddling and uh, you know, all great swimmers of your era were somehow linked to doc. Are you linked to him directly or indirectly through all of your practices and teams? Well, I remember warming up before nationals and he walked over to the pool. I was the only one in the warm up pool. And he says, you've got a beautiful stroke, Fred. Ah, oh, that's you know? cool. And then I took down Charlie Hickox, his <laughs> star, yeah, who had never lost a backstroke race, and, yeah. and and I'm the only guy who beat him. 
uh, I tried to go to the Olympics, but I, <clears throat> I was in Long Beach and I was winning the finals to go to the Olympics. And I only had 20 meters left yeah. in a hundred yard race. And the room started spinning. I oh, went no. into a, I went into a flutter, you know, a heart flutter. Yeah. <clears throat> so I've had atrial flutter, atrial fib my whole life. Okay. But I was pretty much trained out and exhausted. And I hadn't tapered for the Olympics because I wanted to beat the East German Roland Mathis at the time who was on steroids. And I didn't know it. I just thought, oh, I got to train harder. Yeah. So I didn't get to go to the Olympics. So what I do, I got my towel. I left the event and the surf was up. I went down to... Uh, the wedge <laughs> in <Lock> <laughs> no way. and dropped into some big ass waves without fins and totally shaved and in my speedos i was quite a sight but when i dove in to go out on the wedge you know i've been there before yeah i dove in under a wave and the next one landed right in front of me and put me back up on the beach <laughs> it, those waves break pretty close to the beach and it's a steep beach so i found myself you know, having to walk back down to the beach to get in. Oh, yeah. That's the only place that's thrown me back up and said, no, you can't come in. <laughs> but that's what life does to you sometimes, too. You know, you just go for it again, you know, or you make a mistake and pick up the pieces. Yeah, try a different route. Yeah, get it going. So Did, back then um, with uh, with your swimming, uh how much was focused on technique at the time or was it just yards? It was like, were you, you know, coaches focused on that at all? Uh, George Haynes was pretty specific on how he trained. He did a lot of interval training. And he was your coach at the time. Yeah. At, okay. And I had come from Suichi Sakamoto, the three mile swim, the three day swim club, three, three year swim club. There's a book about the guys that were training in the irrigation ditches. <laughs> and I had taken a trip across the U S and met Mark Spitz the year before going to Santa Clara. And it was that meet, chance meeting that inspired me to chase him. I always say that, hey, if you want to get good in something, find out that where the eagle's nest is and go step into it. You know, you're not going to get any feathers or be able to fly, but yeah. you can certainly, you know, watch, learn, practice, and soon you might be able to earn some feathers and fly. So. Yeah. I thought if I went and trained with Mark Spitz, I'd go to a better school. That was the goal. Right. We were doing 4,100 yard repeats one day on the 15s, you know, on the minute 15. Yeah. And I was swimming around a minute, minute two for each one of them. And my the guy next to me was swimming 59s and 58s, and he was yeah. the high school national champion. Yeah. But I had already swam 20 repeats against Spitz who beat me by two or three body lengths on each route right route and now I'm swimming 10 against the national high school champion and he's two or three body lengths ahead of me on 10 mm -hmm. and it was the 30th one we just finished when Mitch Ivy leaned over the lane line next to me and said Fred you have the ugliest backstroke I've ever seen in my life what do I have to do and I said I went under I went underwater, blew air out, screaming, yeah. get my frustration out. Cause I wanted to, I felt like punching him. Yeah. I'm traveling. Sure. I've traveled all my 
you know, across the, the oceans to come swim here and he's insulting my stroke. And I couldn't say anything except that I came up, I blew up my air and I said, Mitch, you have the prettiest stroke I've ever seen in my life. What do I have to do to look like you? And he went, oh, he says, you know what? My coach showed me with a tennis ball. I'll show you with a towel. Get out of the pool and stand up on the deck and throw your stroke down at the deck and show me your stroke. I did that. I jumped out. We had a five-minute break between each set of 10, and we had 10 more to go. Yeah. I threw the stroke down, and it, it landed five feet away from me. Yeah. And um, he says, there's your problem. you got to make it land next to your baby toe. Huh. And the only way you're going to do that is this arm goes over your your this point goes over your nose yeah and this elbow goes underneath your back here and then you pull next to your hip yeah so you had to rotate your shoulders to swim backstroke right i always thought lay back flat and s swim more straight arm right and that's what <laughs> i had been doing the name is a little eluding backstroke it's more like yeah. side stroke but it's like a back head stroke it's twist stroke. Twist stroke. I, it took me five minutes to throw the towel next to my toe. Yeah. I jumped back in and swam a couple in front of him. Wow. And he go, he said something to the tune of mother something. <laughs> You're just trying hard. And I said, no, Mitz, this is easier. Yeah. And I proceeded to swim nine in a row in front of him. And he says, KMF, let's race <laughs> on the last one. And we raced on the last one, and I swam the best time of my life. Wow. It's and incredible how technique can, can change just, just like, like that. that. Yeah. And then, just cosmically, Mark Spitz invites me to go to dinner the next week, weekend. Oh, Friday of that week, I got put in a backstroke race with Mitch Ivey. Uh -huh. I beat him, <laughs> and I'm number one in the nation. Wow. I was Just like number, that. I was like maybe 50th in the nation. Right. So but, that's just pure talent, 50th. And then you, you refine your movement, and all of a yeah, sudden. Went right to first. But remember, I had been surfing my whole life yeah. with, a, with a bent arm elbows bent stroking and not i've been swimming incorrectly my backstroke all those years yeah so when you put it together and you just told me to take my surf stroke underneath my hip yeah and pass by my hip it was really easy yeah it felt like i was not trying so hard so um i set the national high school record on saturday and beat mitch and He's half a second behind me, and that weekend uh, we're going to go. Then the coach says, "Look, I got to take you to the nationals because you're ranked ninth now." <laughs> and I said, "Well, how do you go to the nationals?" He says, "Well, you got to be in the top fifty even to go, and you weren't there, but now you can go." Yeah. And so that was convenient. He says. Yeah, and if I take you, I've got to take Mitch because his mom will never let me hear the end of it. <laughs> and I'm going to take Mark. I'm going to take Jack. And we took six swimmers from our high school team and went to the Nationals. And But 
that was in Dallas, Texas. And the next weekend I get to uh, Mark Spitz's house for dinner and Mark's talking for an hour about winning six events, although he could only enter three, uh-huh. but he could actually, he's, now remember, he's 16 and I'm 17. And we never, I never even heard of the nationals, you know, coming from Maui, others yeah. so foreign to me. Um, but for an hour he talked and they decided to put the shorter course ones together on one day and the other day would be a longer event. So I was kind of stoked with this thinking, gosh, what do my friends think about sitting here with me at dinner table talking to this? Yeah. You know, it was pretty spectacular conversation. And then Mr. Spitz clears his throat and he looks right at me and says, Fred, what are you swimming and how are you going to do? I explained I'm swimming the hundred back and blah, 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 blah. Maybe I could get a third place. He says, I don't understand what you're saying. I explained myself more clearly. Maybe I could get a third place. He says, but you're not making any sense. <laughs> and I said, well, Mr. Spitz, my best time is this, it is. I moved my temp time a tenth of a second faster because I was getting, he wanted me to do better than third place. But yeah. I said, maybe if I go instead of half a second faster, remember, now I had just gone three and a half seconds faster. Incredible. Just the weekend before. Maybe yeah. I go half a second, six tenths of a second faster, I could get a third place. Yeah. He says, well, Fred, I don't understand and it doesn't make any sense. There's only one person in the pool everyone's going to remember. And second through six are all losers and don't you ever forget it. (laughs) And, you know, my dad, it was supportive, but he had never even seen me swim. And Mark's dad is screaming at me because (laughs) I'm saying I'm going to get a third place at the nationals at 17. Oh my God. I thought I was being arrogant. You know, we come from humility. We make fun of each other in Hawaii and laugh and tell jokes and spread aloha. But this is all serious business in this high end competitive swimming. You know, these folks are all into it. Well, it gives such insight into that kind of champion's mindset that, you know, you had the talent, the natural talent, you, you, you fix a little bit of technique and now you're like, well, wow. Like I'm, I'm right up there with it. And you just needed that mindset shift. Yeah. I, I, it's kind of like I had a, a f- physical tip and then an emotional tip. Yeah. And I actually dreamt that was on a Saturday night and on Wednesday before leaving for the weekend in Dallas, Texas, I actually had my first swimming dream. I dreamt I won the nationals. Nice. I dreamt I won the hundred back. And I remember I wrote a letter to my parents and told them, and then I just left for the nationals and said, I don't know what's going to happen, but it's kind of exciting. I get lined up ninth. There were eight heats of qualifiers. So the ninth person goes back to the fastest heat, which is the last heat of the night. And I'm sitting next to the national, the NC2A champion, uh, Charlie Hickox. Yeah. And I, and I, I swim my event and beat and and win. And I swam a uh, another. I didn't swim a half a second faster. I swam a half a second and a half faster than your personal best. Yeah, personal wow. best. And the, the high school record at the time was fifty four one, and I swam a fifty two six. Oh my god! Smashed it, smashed uh, and you know watched the NC two A champion. I stood up and watched him finish. Yeah. 
That's and he amazing. leaned over to Lane and he says, what's your name? I said, Fred Haywood. And he goes, Fred who? <laughs> so my friends started calling me Fred who because I heard it in the stands. And this is kind of funny. I said, that's me, Fred who? <laughs> that's awesome. Nowhere to somebody. So it was a, a one, two, boom. Yeah. Similarly, a couple things happened in my life that were like that, you know, with windsurfing, starting a windsurfing shop and two years later being the fastest windsurfer in the world after a contest in England. And yeah. three months later, um, I came back to Maui and was, we just sailed Hokipa for fun. That's how we would exercise is yeah. go wave riding and surfing wherever we could. But, uh, there were some big waves coming and my friend Arno stopped me on the road and wanted me to go sail these big waves because he had a helicopter coming at noon. And I said, well, that sounds good, but I've been sailing it the last five days and watching when the biggest waves come. And I know I'm going to be on the biggest wave at about 4.30. So I'm not going to take a chance at noon. And he goes, what? <laughs> the photographers, the press, you need it. I said, yeah, I don't care. I'm going to show about 3.30 and I'm going to ride the biggest wave at 4.30. Yeah. <laughs> he just couldn't believe it. He left in a fury. And I got there at 3 o'clock, 3.30. The helicopter was overhead. I couldn't see any sailors because it was so big. Uh, I saw a few of them when I was driving in. But once you're on the beach, you can't see them. Mm -hmm. And there were five or six folks out really really big waves and i got out and it took me a couple of tries to get out it was so big i got washed back by 20 foot white waters you know trying to go over them and not having enough speed finally i got a little opening snuck out and now it's about four o'clock and i look around the helicopter's gone all the sailors are gone nobody's nobody's there yeah and i'm just going oh okay well i'm just gonna sail outside the break and every time a set would come, I would feel the wind pick up and I could plane. I couldn't, I was underpowered. And I was on a 17 foot mast, but I did catch a really big wave. Yeah. Were you and underpowered because of the waves? Because you're catching the waves? Pa partly. Yeah. Uh, at around 4.30 in the afternoon, the wind switches about five to eight degrees and comes more offshore. So it was side shore earlier and now it's turning more offshore. So it's hard to keep a plane because the way it's coming through the waves that are breaking against it. You know? right, so right. it, they'll block the wind. Right. But when you're out at sea, you, all these, and when you're surfing too, you'll experience wind gusts when sets are coming. Wow. So because the height, height of the wave is compressing wind in between all these waves and it, everything shifts, you know? So even when I'm out surfing, if I'm not paying attention, I'll, I'll know to turn around and start paddling if I feel wind. Right. Anyway, that's a little tip for surfers. But that is very cool. <laughs> yeah, so um, rode that big wave. I came into the back of Hokipa Beach Park. I mean, I, I sailed right up to the grass, right through the whole beach and came up because the wave just washed all the way up. and I look up and I'm pulling my rig up and walking it, putting it on the grass. And I see out of the corner of my eye, this guy running down with his camera banging back and forth. And it's the same guy 
Arnaud, who yeah. would tell me to come to the beach at noon because he was going to be doing filming. Right. But he had the helicopter drop him off and he was sitting up on the point waiting for me to ride a wave. So he got <laughs> one roll of film, 24 shots. And then, so he's going, this is the biggest wave. This is bigger than your world record, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, there was, it'll be remembered forever. I said, yeah, well, they'll be right. Bigger waves, no problem. And he says, he, so he went out and he's got 24 prints and he arranged um, each of them for six shots. And he must have sold it 15 times, <laughs> guaranteeing each magazine that he would give him exclusive use of six individual shots. Nice. But what he was doing is just shuffling the shots to yep. make sure that none of them had the same six. Right. So he did well on that. Yeah, yeah. But, but you know, again, those are some of the highlights. And there's other surf stories and yeah. shark stories and speed sailing stories. And, and you it's said a big, adventure, big yeah. adventure of my life. You said Arnaud motivated you to go after the uh, speed, speed record. Sailing. Is that right? Yeah. Now, he like... Was, what did he say to you? Like, hey, why don't you just try this contest? It'll be fun. Or well, he he was one day he got into a, an argument with Mike Waltz at our windsurfing shop because <clears throat> he told Mike that he plays like a clown on the waves, <laughs> and that the true essence was speed. Ah. And and Mike says, "You're crazy. It's it's all the same, you know." But. I didn't disagree with either of them. Yeah. They were both fantastic wave riding. It's nothing like it. Yeah. And speed sailing is pretty amazing too when it's happening. So um, a couple weeks after the contest the year before, the world record holder had bought a board from Jimmy Lewis, who was our shaper. And Jimmy had made a board that he he rolled the planer on the bottom of the board when he was pushing it through the cut and it made it gouge. So instead of just throwing the blank out, he just made it a concave. No way. And he glassed the board, put it in the shop, and this Pascal Maca came French guy came walking into the shop and bought the board and uh, broke a world speed record on it. And um, I we used that shot that we just plagiarized the shot from right. whoever took it and advertised it. We were the fastest board in the world. Right. And he came walking in the shop a few months later and says, Hey, you guys used my image and, and uh, I want some money for it. And I said, well, you know, we can't pay you any money. We're dirt broke. We're just having fun, but we'll give you a discount on the board. And he says, Oh yeah. Right. I said, well, if you're not appreciating that, I'll just come over to Weymouth and kick your butt next year. <laughs> we both <laughs> laughed. But, you know, I was setting up my my mindset. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking ahead again. No, because he was laughing at me, and I said, okay. I just started going up to Hokipa and launching my speedboards and going down the coast and having Jimmy build me a bunch of speedboards until we figured out what was going fast. And, yeah. um the following year, I, I first stopped in a contest in France, and I actually got 315th out of 315 sailors because <laughs> I couldn't make a run with my small equipment. Right. 
Right. I, I didn't ride until it was 20 knots. It was only blowing 15 to 18 and I couldn't ride it. And so when I got to Weymouth the next month, I was in line and some guy didn't want number 13 and I was standing behind him and I said, I'll take 13. There's nothing else that can crush me like a bad number. That might be luck. Right. <laughs> so I went to Weymouth and then um, wind came up strong enough and I had, I had a new um, uh, innovation, a wing mast to, to use. Uh, and my friend had won, my friend uh, had won the contest in, France on the same mast. Uh, his name is Klaus Simmer, and his brother is a Malta, and they were they had a sail off over here in Maui, and uh, but he was sponsored rider, and I would I was the beginner rider, so yeah. I wasn't really sponsored yet, so I just borrowed his wing mast because he had to go to it somewhere else, yeah, and then use it on my board and broke the world record, and. Then I didn't have to work for six or seven years beyond sailing. Right. So, I mean, that's a lot of information and, and there's a lot more in the book, but no, it's just, just such a cool like story behind why you went over there because it was, it was somewhat random in that chronological highlight. And, and who knew the wind would blow, blow and who knew that anything would work and who knew I had not made a run ever on this board. I never used the sail. Well, and also you, you really learned from Mr. Spitz and that mindset change as well. Yeah. You know, going into that, you used that to your advantage. Well, I, I do realize that my mindset was perfect for accomplishing things. Yeah. If I just stayed on, stayed the course, yeah. there's obvious setbacks when you crash, when you hurt yourself, when you, someone tells you, you, you know, you swim like a piece of shit, yeah. <laughs> but you just, you know, take take it on, take it like water flowing, right? It's going to flow around you if you're a post, if you're yeah. strong. Everything flows around you. Yeah, you're not going to cave in any kind of emotional stuff, and you know you you wait for your opportunity to show them that you got it. Yeah, but I think a lot of people, um, you know, it's unfortunate we we didn't have any internet back then, yeah, <laughs> so right. there's not this constant barraging of the internet going on and that's that's kind of a hard one you know we've been through the most difficult times of our lives with this covid and and the, the negativity of the internet so yeah. here we are coming out of it again and a lot of people have an opportunity to improve their lives and move move around and yeah. change it up and every one of my moves happened off of adversity yeah you know when you get hit with some something, well, try to improve everything when you lose something. Right. So that's what I constantly did. In fact, I lost my brother who was running Maui Jim sunglasses, Bill, two years ago, and I decided I was going to write my book. So I go to I go to Vegas the next week with my friends, and I step off a curb incorrectly, and I try to recover myself and catch my fall. And yeah. instead I land on my leg and I, I've twisted my ankle and now I'm torn all three hamstring off my pelvic bone. Oh. So the irony of it all, yeah. I was writing that book with uh, an editor helping me. Uh, and that was in, from a hospital bed in my house. Yeah. But it gave me 
something to do at such a negative time to keep my spirits up. I didn't know what this was going to do. I thought we were just going to make an, you know, self-publishing Amazon book. And I sent it when it was finished, six, eight months later, we sent some of the copy to uh, a literary agent friend of mine. And he just called a week later and said, you know what, Fred, this book is good. And I've got someone to, uh, wants to publish it. That's awesome. So I never even made an effort to try publish it, but it got it's now published uh, but since August 10th. So it's on a number of websites, yeah. uh, Amazon and whatnot. And it's also a lot of the stories that are on uh, racingwithaloha.com. And, and we set up a website where I interviewed all the people that were in the book. And I have uh, eight or 10 interviews. Uh, yeah. On the top of the website under archives, you can go click there and go see some of the interviews. I had an interview with Mark Spitz and Laird Hamilton, Kai Lenny. Yeah. And these are people that were around me. Yeah. Kai was inspired by my stories. Yeah. I mean, they're just talking with you right now. It's inspirational. I'm looking forward to, to, to reading the whole thing with yeah. my copy, uh, Racing Aloha. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm excited that a publisher recognized how it really came at a good time uh, in our lives with people really feeling down about the environment, yeah. you know, the environment we've been in. So um, some funny stories, I hope. And I love surf stories. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I dig this stuff and it's motivational. Some great stuff. You've, you've really designed your life the way you've wanted to design it, which is, yeah. I think for a lot of people, very inspirational. Like I wanted to go surfing after I was a swimming champion. I wanted to go surf around the world because I mean, I was surfing Honolulu and Malaya and getting big barrels and stuff. But man, I, I, I read a letter of someone who had discovered uh, G-Land. Yeah. And I went, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. And uh, I want to go there. And yeah. surprisingly, the next year I was there. And surprisingly, it was the best swell of the year. In in uh, in, I got there May, June, July, in Ju early July they had a big swell, and that's what we were surfing. Yeah. And it was a perfect angle. It, um, you know, in G Land when you surf it, there's like three major takeoffs, uh -huh. and you start at Money Trees, and you take this wave and pretty insane too and you, you can kick out and paddle 20 yards and catch another point another little section that takes off and go down the race tracks and catch a third one and then you've got a 20 minute paddle <laughs> around the outside of the waves to get back yeah so you don't even see the takeoff place when you've ridden those three sections and so imagine doing that for eight nine days in a row and how tired you are yeah. But that's all we were doing was surfing. So um, back then I was riding a a seven foot eight pintail single fin, but you know, real low rails, really good tube riding board. Yeah, right, right. I mean, and with no none of the technology that we have today with with forecasts, it was it was the true surf exploration where you show up and you just kind of. <laughs> kind of hang out for a bit until yeah. something comes or you're you run out of money <laughs> i know we were sleeping on the boat and right off the fairly close to the break 
That's what you said. We, That's crazy. Yeah, we would wait wait for the the eye of the tube to be perfectly cylindrical on the lip going over and not have a lot of back spray. Yeah. Just there's a time of the day when it, the winds would just turn offshore and get perfect and okay, we're going. <laughs> oh gosh. That's amazing. Wait for the insane rides. How do you how do you take crowds and all the technology today? What's your thought? Oh, it's you know you got to share the aloha. Yeah. That's kind of what the book's about. Yeah. And you can't um, you can't get upset about it. It is what it is. You just yeah. learn to appreciate it all with more people around. Yeah. Just like Maui, it's gotten crowded with tourism. Um, I was watching a picture of a, of a fellow realtor shooting the sunset the other day and they panned the sunset and it was beautiful. Then they just turned it on the beach and there must've been 50 people with cocktails and things standing around that had walked out of all the condos to see <laughs> the sunset. Yeah. I went, oh, I remember when we go to those beaches and camp out and no, there weren't any condos and no people. And yeah. we'd wonder if anyone else saw the sunsets we were watching. Right, you know? right. Here it is 50 years later and everybody's on the beaches enjoying it. And so Maui's opened up to share it with everybody. And I think in our hearts, we have to share it with everybody and not be so judgmental. And yeah. I have a theory that you must stay out of judgment and go to curiosity. Anytime you feel like jabbing somebody, why don't you turn it around and ask them what makes them so special in that position they're in? What did they do to get good? What, 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 what benefits do you think I could do to help me on my journey? Yeah. A lot of times when there's adversity, there's opportunity. Yeah. And I, we have that, we work with that in real estate too. You know, I've been selling real estate for 48 years. I'm trying to retire, but it's coming on strong. So like, as long as there's set waves, I can't stop surfing. Yeah, totally. As long as the wave keeps going, keep riding. Yeah. Man. So. Well, that is a, that's a great attitude. It's a great uh, message to, to send to people. And um, yeah. I'm super stoked. We got a chance to talk. Do you yeah. by chance know Court? Court Larned. Larned, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's right here. He's about 10 minutes south of us. He runs a shop. Yeah, he's got the most successful SUP shop. Yeah, 101 he's a great Sports guy. in San Rafael. They're great. They're, and great guy. his partner, David Wells, is also, uh, they, they run that shop really well. So yeah, if you yeah. ever make it over here, let me know and we'll go visit them. Yeah. Cool. It's in Santa Monica, you said? No, it's, in, it. it's called San Rafael. Oh, San, San Rafael. San yeah, Rafael. I kind of know where it is. Yeah. It's about 10 minutes south of where I'm at. I actually lifeguarded in Carpinteria. Okay. Yeah. It's more in SoCal. We're up uh, just north of San Francisco. Yeah. 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 Very cool. Up getting close to the wine countries. Yeah, that's right. We're Napa's right there. That's right. We're like 20 to 30 minutes from the closest winery where I'm at. And uh, 20 minutes from the city. So nice little position. Yeah. But, I, uh, I love San Francisco. It's changed a lot too, but hey, stay out of judgment, go to curiosity, share yeah, the yeah. aloha. That Keep Walt Whitman reason. quote? Is that a I Walt don't, Whitman it could quote, be. I yeah, I think that is. Mm -hmm. uh, some along you know, those lines. It's applied in many fields and, and I think it's where we have to go with, with everything that's exploding around us. 
Yeah. Well, your story about how you changed your backstroke uh, with the guy that told you your stroke looked like crap, going underwater, getting the frustration out, and then coming up and being curious instead of being judgmental. Why did why did this guy tell me that? Instead, you were like, well, tell me, like, why is yours so nice? Why is yours so beautiful? Yeah. And that that right. started a wildfire of experience for you moving forward. Yeah, I I had... I had left swimming in my raft. I was doing some double workouts in Hawaii yeah. where the coach would wake me up with a flashlight at 4.30 in my prep school, Hawaii prep, yeah. with a flashlight in bed. And I'd go out and jump in his car. And he was only training me in double workouts. And the rest of the team didn't even know. <laughs> but I had to go swim a lantern out to the raft. Yeah. And then he would shine car lights and let the engine run for an hour. And I would swim backstroke one way and freestyle one way. And that no was flags. weird. What were the flags? There's no flags to look at. You can't see anything. <laughs> but at least, you know, I could see my freestyle turn with the car lights on that end. And then the backstroke, I could see the lights on the, on the flags. So you're in the harbor. You had walls? I was it gonna was, say, uh, like, there were two telephone poles and two rafts with <laughs> plywood turn lanes, and we had lanes in between, you know, with uh, flotation lanes. Right. So we were actually just training in the ocean, and we did not have a lot of goggles then. So a lot of the team got pterygiums from all that salt water, oh my God. which is that growth on your inner eye, you yeah. know. But anyway, how, how weird was it to have walls when you finally went to Santa Clara club? It was, I mean, I had to swim in them and, and, and I had done, done training in, in regular pools before then, but this is just to make it more convenient for our school because to go to another place to train was an hour each way. So he saved, you know, 40 minutes drive on both sides by building our own pool. That's cool. I like it. But, Talk about the slowest pool in the world to the fastest and <laughs> yeah. having this accomplished. I thought I was, I thought it would make a good story when I was 17. I thought about writing about my adventures, but at 71, it's still a good story. And, <laughs> and it got more better because <laughs> yeah, there's swap the numbers. You're good. Some great surfing stories and some great windsurfing stories. And, and I, I actually shared equipment with Laird and helped him win contests so that he could get sponsored. Cool. I shared equipment with uh, Anders Bringdahl because I was going to go break the 10 meter class record in Australia. And I gave Anders my board because he had these funky boards. And while I was breaking a world record, he won the contest. Yeah. So, and life is about sharing what you have, you know, it's, you don't collect anything all for yourself. Yeah. If, if you can learn to give things away, um, give your tips away, give your love away, give your aloha away, it will all come back to you a tenfold. Yeah. So people need to just share aloha out there. I'm on the backside. I probably might not ever go surfing again because I am having a hard time balancing with my sciatic nerve problem. I have a drop foot and everything. So I'm Likely not going to get too much into the water except in the swimming pool, which I'm doing again. Yeah. It's easy to swim. Yeah, that's great. 
Well, great message, Fred. I appreciate your time. I don't want to take too much more of it. Thank you. Um, if you guys are interested, Racing Aloha is out. Amazon, yeah. best way to get it. Amazon, they got it. And if you and if you buy it, please write a review. If you if you share the stoke, it'll help the book. Yeah, yeah. I'll throw something up there once I'm done reading it. Right on. Yeah, I'm stoked. Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, aloha. Aloha. Thanks, Fred. Take care.